Peace Corps gives us a chance to show a side of our country which is too often submerged. Our desire to live in peace, our desire to be of help. There can be no greater service to our country and no source of pride more real than to be a member of the Peace Corps of the United States. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the My Peace Corps Story podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Lloyd, and I'm here to help tell the stories of current and returned Peace Corps volunteers. If you like what you hear today, be sure to let me know over at MyPeaceCorpsStory.com and connect with me on Instagram at MyPeaceCorpsStory or on Facebook by searching for My Peace Corps Story. Additionally, head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review for the show. Five-star reviews are extremely appreciated, but more than anything, I want to know what you think so I can better serve my audience. Speaking of five-star reviews, I'd like to give a shout-out to Will Coop, who said, Awesome podcast, five stars. He writes, Just started my time as a Peace Corps trainee here in Morocco. Love listening to this podcast, and I feel the insights I have learned through this podcast will be a great help during my service. Thanks, Tyler. Will, thank you for leaving the review, and best of luck as you finish up your time as a Peace Corps trainee and transition into being a Peace Corps volunteer. On today's episode, I talk with Elizabeth Pels, who served as a community health HIV volunteer in Ethiopia from 2012 to 2014. We talk about her projects and then about something very important to Lizzie, her identity as a member of the LGBT community. We talk about some of the difficulties she faced while serving in Peace Corps related to her identity and some of the struggles that other volunteers may face. But she does not speak for the community as a whole. This is just her story. So without further ado, this is this is this is this is my my Peace Corps Peace Corps my Peace Corps my Peace Corps story story story. I'm Elizabeth Lizzie Peltz, and this is my Peace Corps story. Lizzie, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Doing very well. It's a little toasty outside, uh, but we're inside, you know, drinking some nice ice cold water. Uh, and I'm excited to talk to you today about something that I can't relate to, but I think. Uh, people need to hear about it, uh, people who are currently in Peace Corps, and especially those thinking about going into Peace Corps and some sort of considerations and things that I guess they need to understand that they may not even think about. Absolutely. Yeah. So just starting off, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, any background that you feel is important for your story, and then tell us about where you served and what you did. So the basis for this is that I am a queer returned Peace Corps volunteer. I myself identify as pansexual. That's very interchangeable with bisexual sometimes, though how I identify pansexual being different from bisexual is that it's inclusive of being attracted to transgender or gender non-binary people. Um, Again, bisexual is used interchangeably with pansexual, but I do identify as queer. And I served in Ethiopia from 2012 to 2014. I was in the Tigray region, which is the northern region that borders Eritrea, and I was a health volunteer, uh, primarily working in HIV/AIDS in my town. Mm-hmm. And for those who are not familiar with where you served, what do you want people to know about, you know, Ethiopia? It's beautiful. It's like one of those beautiful scenic places you will ever visit, and the food is amazing. I've talked to other return Peace Corps volunteers, specifically African uh, RPCVs. And many have mentioned that 
the cuisine where they were is very starchy and bland, but Ethiopian food is very flavorful. A lot of it's non-fat. It's very vegetarian friendly. I had many colleagues who are vegetarians and were able to sustain that diet. So I highly recommend Ethiopia as a choice to visit um, and maybe as a place to serve once the political tensions calm down, like the next few years will tell a lot. Mm -hmm. And so what exactly were you doing as a community health volunteer? Like what's the day-to-day role that you had, if, if it was consistent at all? <laughs> my first year, it wasn't consistent at all. And I didn't reach consistency until my second year. So the health volunteers in Ethiopia, like many African um, posts, we were PEPFAR funded. PEPFAR meaning President's Emergency Preparation for AIDS Relief. It's the top funder for HIV uh, relief throughout the world. Um, and USAID is their implementing body. But Ethiopia was unique in that it's more of a concentrated epidemic. So there are many health volunteers that did not work in HIV AIDS at all because that wasn't a concern in their communities. My community, it was a concern, and I was in one of those concentrated epidemics in Southern Tigray. Um, my town was called Maichau, and I there were different uh, reports ranging uh, for adult prevalence anywhere from like 2.4%. One year it said 6.6%, and one year we had um, the highest incidence, meaning new infections among girls ages 14 to 18. Like it was a problem in my town. Wow, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Huge problem. And we were also highest in the region for, um, under, under age 18 abortions in the region. Mm-hmm. So unprotected sex was obviously happening. Um, I was partnered with the HAPCO office for the district HAPCO standing for HIV AIDS prevention control office. And those are the district level HIV responses through the Ethiopian ministry of health. My first year, I would just show up at the health office, sit down and not know what to do. And just nodding when people spoke to me in Tigrinya, cause I hadn't become acclimated to the language yet. And I would just visit different health facilities with that staff, that staff member, that staff member, I started to really get my foot in with the community organizations, such as the Mother Support Group for HIV-positive mothers and the Commercial Sex Workers Association through the Transaction Community Mobilizers. And Transaction was a key populations program through Save the Children at the time, but phased out in 2013, I think. Okay. Yeah, and then my second year, I was actually helping one ART nurse uh, with navigating health and social services for her patients, ART, me antiretroviral therapy, which is a Medicaid, uh, not Medicaid, but medication regimen that HIV positive individuals take to lower their viral load. And I'd help her get better nutrition or food security for this person or find employment for this person because they were fired for being HIV positive. And I was actually awarded a PEPFAR grant to improve the preventing mother-to-child transmission program at the health center. And the main goal of that was to decrease mother-to-child transmission by getting more women to give birth at the health facility because most Ethiopian women choose to give birth at home with medically untrained midwives. And during pregnancy, childbirth, or breastfeeding, that's when HIV can be transmitted to the child. But um, the first year of that project is very slow progress. You know, it's like once they, before they got the money, they were very active. But once they got the money, it just like came to a halt for a while. And I actually had to get the district head to get involved to move things along. But by the end of the second year, uh, we actually did see significant results. It was um, 
it started around like maybe 78 women, 75 to 78 women. One of those numbers that actually gave birth in the health facility that year. And mm-hmm. it rose by over 160% within two years. Wow. Yeah. I was, I was very proud of it at the end, especially because I had very low expectations at the beginning. I was feeling, I was feeling very down myself because I felt that staff and other community members weren't following through, but it was a learning experience on how I could better engage everybody involved. Mm-hmm. And it resulted in high impact intervention. Yeah, it sounds like you were able to do some really good work there as a volunteer. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> and then in that, you know, what is one of your favorite memories of Peace Corps? You know, something that you've really hold on to, you think back and you're just like, yes, like this is one of the highlights of my service. So Timket, which is uh, an Orthodox, Orthodox Christian holiday, not just in Ethiopia, but in Russia or other places that have a very strong Orthodox Christian presence, it's the Epiphany, um, celebrating when John the Baptist uh, baptized Jesus. I know this because I was raised Catholic. Mm. <laughs> but Timket in my town, uh, Timket in Ethiopia is huge. It's a huge parade like down whatever city or town you live in. In the capital in Addis Ababa, it's huge. But in my town, it was especially beautiful because I lived in a mountain town. And it would start from one church on this one hilltop down the road to this other church on the hilltop. And across the highway on the side of this mountain, they would have Raya wrestling. So Raya was the area of Tigray I lived in. It has its own dialect of Tigrinya, has its own dress, has its very unique culture, including wrestling. Mm-hmm. And um, I, both years I had other Peace Corps volunteers visit me. And my first year, it was only like two weeks after I had sworn in, but the two Peace Corps volunteers who were in my language group, who we had the same uh, culture and language facilitator, they decided to visit me. We decided to hike the mountain on the edge of my town that day. We got to see part of the celebration from that high point. And then the next day, we hung out on the roof of one of the cafes in town and got to see um, the parade happen. It was colorful. It was festive. It was joyful. And we just had the best time in our first month. Mm-hmm. Now, th- those times of celebration are always a high point when your community is coming together and you get to have this cultural experience that, I guess, you know you're going to have some some degree, but when you're actually in it, it's it's unmatched. Mm-hmm. And then going the opposite way, you know, as I ask pretty much everybody that comes on the show, I ask for the good, and I also ask for the bad. Uh, can you share one of the uh, less favorable memories from your time in Ethiopia? Sure. So um, most of them were linked to sexual harassment. I feel it's... Um that's common among many female mm-hmm. PCVs and RPCVs. But um, into my second, I remember this specific one because in my second year, I had really gotten hold of Tigrinya. I was able to communicate with my colleagues without a translator. I was able to travel around by myself. I was able, I was getting fluency. But that also meant I could overhear what everybody would say about me. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> one time when I was walking home from the language school where I was teaching the English class at night, uh, I had a Tigrinya teacher in town. He had opened school. And that night I was walking across town from the language school and walking towards my house around maybe 9, 9 p.m. And I'm by myself and I see these three older men and they're like big white gobbies. They're acting kind of delirious or drunk. My guess is drunk. Um, but they're like, oh, hello in English. I was like, hey. And as I passed, like, 
they were saying uh, things about me, which translated into from Tigrinia, what's the cost for me to fuck that foreigner? Wow. Yeah. Um, That's not exactly something you want to overhear while, you know. No, it's, walking, it's walking not. down the street. It's not. And like later on when I shared that with some female Ethiopian friends, they said, oh, yeah, people, guys say that about us and they don't care that we hear. So, yeah, it wasn't the fact that, you know, you just happened to overhear them or they thought they couldn't, you didn't understand that. Like, no, they would have said that if in English if they maybe knew the words for it. It's just dehumanizing, like, one yeah. way or another. Yeah. Wow. Well, I guess, you know, moving on from that, so something else that uh, you you struggled with, at least I take it you struggled with it from the little bit that we talked about being in LGBT uh, Peace Corps volunteer and getting into that experience. So where do you want to start this conversation? Uh, Well, before I say anything else, I want to make the point that my queer experience as a Peace Corps volunteer is mine alone and does is not the same experience as all queer volunteers. Mm -hmm. Um, We have similarities, but we also have differences. And I did come into my experiences with some privileges uh, such as straight passing or um, being a white female and also not being homosexual. So I did have access to physical intimacy mm-hmm. while many others did not or because of uh, gender roles where they served, they were not straight passing. Mm-hmm. So I was able to, in some in some instances move around undetected while other volunteers cannot. Yes. So I feel, I feel that point needs to be made. My mm-hmm. experience as a queer volunteer is not the same as all queer volunteers. Mm-hmm. As, as everyone's story, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, you're not representative of, of everybody like you or with whatever, de- whatever demographic you self identify in the end, your story is your story. Of course. But I always have to make that point because oh, those yeah, people, out looking in th- yeah. one of us represents Everybody, yeah. just just like when we're Peace Corps volunteers, mm-hmm. uh, host country nationals think that this one American represents all Americans. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I found that stereotype to be true on the part of non-queer people about queer people mm-hmm. from both host country nationals and Mar- Americans. Mm-hmm. So then let's get into your experience. So I guess my question lead, leading into Peace Corps, um, how, how long had you self-identified as being queer Prior, prior to Peace Corps? About a decade. Okay, yeah. Because yeah. I know that there, I served with a few people uh, that had, I guess, recently had come out uh, as being homosexual before before they started. And, you know, that has a whole host of its own complexities. So, but, mm-hmm. but you had, you know, lived as, you know, understanding of like, I am queer, this is, this is who I am. For a, for a decade. Yes, I had self-identified, but I had not lived unapologetically as queer. Okay. And actually, I haven't been unapologetic about it until very recently, actually okay. moving to D.C. So post-Peace Corps. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I feel I feel that my access to queerness is much easier in D.C. than it is um, in Houston, where I'm from, mm-hmm. especially where I served. And that's, that's, a, that's a common experience among many queer individuals that come from quote, quote, red states Mm -hmm. and uh, a queer individual who I served with in Ethiopia, like shared that with me. And we discussed that many times, how access to queerness itself can be a privilege. Mm -hmm. So you had self-identified for a decade, 
but maybe not act, acted on it uh, or been as vocal about it. And then, you know, coming, coming into Peace Corps, mm-hmm. um, were you given any sort of, I guess, warning or was there sort of any, any indication of, okay, this is what is it, like what the people of Ethiopia find, what they think about it? So in the initial application, that's a point made, I feel. I forget okay. where it was, like in the post-medical application or the like the uh, placement officer interview, but that's mm-hmm. discussed very briefly. And it's like, okay, are, are you aware that you will have to go back into the closet? Is that something you're willing to do? Are you willing to abide by laws that are homophobic, et cetera, et cetera? Mm-hmm. And then... I have heard that this has improved since my group was sworn in, Okay, but um, my first or second day in Ethiopia, we had a peer support network meeting about like an hour long about um, being LGBT in Ethiopia, mm-hmm. and no host country national staff were involved, because the point was made to us from PSN um, individuals that they're not willing to talk about it. And that once we talk about in this room, this subject matter does not leave this room. And we are going to use these code words to say gay or lesbian. Of course, they hadn't, they had no code word for bisexual or anything that was not homosexual. Biphobia is real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that was about it. And I did meet some more veteran volunteers who were open to us about it and had offered their ears. Like if you're queer and you need like support, you know, feel free to call me my numbers and this manual or that manual. And, um, someone who I served very close with was actually, uh, LGBT. And they were one of those individuals who had recently come out like before service or really going through mm-hmm. the, the wheels of it during service. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so how did it impact your service? Like what, what, in in what ways was your service, I guess, changed because of being queer and then having to hide it? So like I said before, I was straight passing, which Mm -hmm. meant that I was convincing enough to be a straight female, according to Ethiopian nationals. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's because I have boobs and long hair and that's what counts as passing there. (laughs) But if, I did have access to physical intimacy because I did date some Ethiopian men, but that was something about my, myself that I could never share with them. Mm-hmm. And that was something about myself that I could never share with the people closest to me. And that was something I couldn't share about myself with the people closest to me until my most recent visit. Like last summer I revisited Ethiopia and there were a couple individuals that asked me or, you know, they kind of headed at it. I don't know how, I guess, again, because I'm starting to be more unapologetic about it. But my best friend, um, who I met at site because she was a doctor and she's originally from the capital, she was completely supportive about it. Mm-hmm. And there's this little kid who, well, not little, like I met him when he was a teenager and he was part of our summer camps and he lives in the capital now. But when I visited him, he actually asked me, have you ever done this or that? And like, I kind of panicked. I was like, would you understand why someone would not admit that or just like feel him out a bit? He's like, yeah, I understand. Cause people here are think bad things about it. And so when I was finally honest with him, he was like, oh, okay, that's cool. And I was like, wow, that blew my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, but also during my service, um, I would try, I would actually try to avoid talking about it as much as possible because I knew I would have a reaction based on what people had to say about it. Mm-hmm. 
so there were a few times when English students or colleagues would would start a conversation. So I know homosexuality is legal in your country, dot, dot, dot. And I just say, not talking about it, not mm-hmm. talking about it, not talking about it, because I didn't want to hear what they had to say about it. And two, I did not want to give myself away through my reactions. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were times when they just brought up on their own, start talking amongst themselves and... I'd just be like, la, 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 don't want to hear it, don't want to hear it. Or I'd just say, don't talk about it in front of me, please. Mm-hmm. And be like, why? I said, just don't talk about it in front of me. But there was actually my first three months. I was hanging out with this group of guys, and one of them, I forgot how he got on the topic of queerness, but he, I didn't mention it, he, got, he started the conversation. He talked about this specific lake that's a few hours south of our town, and he's like, oh, yeah, that's where we drown, you know, you know bushti, which is like the derogatory term, like mm-hmm. our F word for um, queer people. It's like, oh, yeah, that's where we go and drown them. I was just like, oh, fuck. <laughs> it's like, if, I, if I'm out, they're going to drown me. Yeah. Um, and then there's this one moment of um, like horrible hypocrisy. So there's always the negative stereotype that, oh, if you're homosexual, you're a pedophile. Mm-hmm. And that that notion exists and is very strong in Ethiopia. And so our hospital was a district hospital. And we would get patients from all around the district. So the next town over, my best friend who's a doctor, she had a four-year-old male patient who was raped by his next-door neighbor, uh, a male adult. And there was a massive manhunt out for this guy and he Mm -hmm. was actually killed by the mob like a few Mm -hmm. days later she and i were having this conversation and she said you know what they would not be so angry they would not be out so hard for this guy had this child been a girl Mm -hmm. and had that that and were that child a girl i feel that i personally feel that the rape would be no less tragic you know, rape is rape regardless of who does it to whom. Exactly. But if it's heterosexual, it's easy for them, for many to minimalize it. But if it's homosexual, it's like, no, homos- this is proof that homosexuals are all pedophiles. When mm-hmm. it's like, well, pedophilia happens by heterosexual means as well. Mm-hmm. So it, 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 it really broke my heart that if it's a heterosexual rape, that they would minimize it, especially for a four-year-old child. Mm-hmm. And that it, the rape of a child is not what they're angry about, but the fact that it was homosexual. Yeah. Like, that was the thing that, that set them off. That was, yeah. That was the last straw. Very interesting. So I, I had conversations while in Peace Corps uh, both about, about rape, uh, just uh, you know, heterosexual rape. We got on different topics uh, just throughout my service, but... I also had the opportunity to talk a lot about homosexuality in the LGBT community. And I, since I am, don't, do not identify within that community, I was fortunate enough where I could, you know, I could take it on head first. It's like, okay, let's have this conversation. You know, as a straight male, like, what's, what's your problem with it? Like, and, you know, sort of pick their brains and poke at them and be like, I don't, I don't get it. Like, is it that you're just uncomfortable with it? Like, what's wrong? And I got to start to have these conversations. And I know with, uh, like, older adults, yeah, it, was a, it, was a, it was a losing battle. You know, I would... Of course. Yeah, I would try. But I had this youth group that was actually a, a karate club. 
And I got to have some pretty good conversations there. And you could I think it was a shift within maybe the younger generation that they were starting to question some of the things. They weren't like, you know, full on saying, yes, it's, it was acceptable, but they were sort of hesitant to say that it was wrong. And it's, so I, I did see some hope there, at least some shifting of mindset in Burkina Faso. Did you see that sort of a little bit with the I generations? did, actually. I very much did. Um, and I feel that exists in many, if not all countries, is mm-hmm. that the changing perspective through the generational differences. Um, older generations, of course, like to say that Westerners, Americans, we brought homosexuality to Ethiopia or this place, and like... It's like they're, they queer Ethiopians exist with or without us. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are like, since my service, I actually have been in contact with queer Ethiopians, both in Ethiopia and the U S. Um, but they definitely have to operate with a lot of anonymity, mm-hmm. uh, especially through social media, but not, not just for my stories, but stories of other volunteers who've had these kind of conversations with the other Ethiopians. They've noticed the same thing where, like one, the same person I was very close with who was going through um, their own coming out just before and during service, they had a talk with their host brother who was maybe like 14, 15 at the time. He just said, yeah, I don't understand why people are so bothered by it. I was like, are you serious? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> um, and of course, the other, there were like the adult male Ethiopians who are like, I don't like man on man, but woman on woman. Oh yeah, it's like of course. Mm-hmm. As long as long as it as long as it fits the needs of a straight man, it's fine. Yep. <laughs> and you know, I think it's it's something that is taught. You know, the, the fact that mm-hmm. it, it is you know taboo is taught. It's not ingrained in us. We, we're not programmed to think this way. Of course. And then when you talk to those the younger kids, and the, you know, the, they start to question it a little bit more. And they're like, I don't doesn't really make sense what the, like the real problem is like as long as it you do you and it's fine mm-hmm. and those were the conversations that I had with them ab- ab- about homosexuality since you have a, an open audience right now of people listening to you uh, who are uh, thinking about Peace Corps applying or people who are currently in Peace Corps who m- may identify themselves as LGBT you know this is your time to tell them or, or give maybe give some advice or I'm going to just leave it up to you and you, you, you take it away from here, but you know what I'm getting at. This is your, mm-hmm. just to speak to them. Reach out to your fellow volunteers. They're your best support and they're your best advocates. Um, it was like for my, my group, we had that very, that minimal introduction and talk about it. But to the group after mine, another queer volunteer actually fought tooth and nail for there to be the LGBT sensitivity training for the Peace Corps staff in Ethiopia, because that's to my knowledge. And what was communicated to me is that that's actual policy enacted by headquarters. And we had heard that they do that for Peace Corps staff in Uganda for both American and host country national staff. So mm-hmm. why wasn't it happening for Ethiopia staff? And so that person fought tooth and nail for it and it actually did happen. Um, you know, we, later we found out that the staff had shared that they wish they hadn't known that some of the volunteers were queer, but you know, it's a, it's a first step to that discussion. So, you know, if, if you, if you're not going to find support anywhere else, fellow volunteers are going to be your, 
support network. They're going to be your safety network because you know, there are some volunteers that they have fake girlfriends or fake boyfriends to help mm-hmm. them in passing. And you know what? If at the end of the day, it's your choice. But if you're non-queer, even if you are queer and someone asks you to be their fake girlfriend or boyfriend, I say do it. I mean, you pr- probably rarely have to see them or like rarely put on a show for them. But it's like, hey, you're, you're a safety line. Mm-hmm. You know, not just an emotional line, but you are a safety line for that person. Because we serve in some countries where queer people are murdered. Mm-hmm. Ethiopia is one of them. Yep. <laughs> within, within my group, we had many uh, fake husbands and wives. And, you know, you visit once and you just establish, nope, that's my husband. He works in another village. And then from that point forward, okay. <laughs> We respect that. And also, I would never, in any other circumstance, I would never tell a person to pass this way or pass that way. I would never tell someone, don't be yourself. But while serving, that can, that can determine the safety of you as an individual and the safety of other volunteers. And there have been instances among Peace Corps volunteers in Ethiopia and stories shared with me from uh, by RPCVs serving other countries that there are certain stereotypical behaviors that can give a person a way to host country national staff. And if they're that homophobic, if they're that aggressive, they will take action. And some volunteers have been assaulted mm-hmm. because they acted, quote unquote, too gay or they looked, quote unquote, too lesbian. And I hate... Like, I hate saying don't act this way. I hate saying don't look this way. Like, I absolutely hate it. And it's absolutely shitty. But it's whatever. Determine that balance with yourself and determine that balance among other volunteers. Is like, what can you do to keep yourself safe mm-hmm. while also staying true to yourself? And it's it's difficult. There's no no cross-cutting answer for that because every single post, you know, even within post, it's going to be different you know, what the circumstances you're dealing with are going to be different in terms of how you pass and how safe you are in passing as straight. It's like, ah, I hate saying these words. Like I actually hate saying them, but I feel these are things that need to be said because it needs to be acknowledged that shitty. Mm-hmm. It needs to be acknowledged that being told don't be yourself for your safety, but also the safety of others is very shitty, mm-hmm. but it's a reality. And hopefully Collectively, we can reach a place where that's not a reality anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, little by little, as more volunteers or go out and and I guess people are more exposed and put a face in a, to an actual person who is of the LGBT community, mm-hmm. and it's no longer a stereotype. It's oh, it, it, this is this person that I care about. And as these countries progress as well, and the you know intergenerational change, you know maybe one day you know we we can have that, but but we're not there yet. Mm-mm. And it's not on us to get those countries there because no. one that only emphasizes the notion that Westerners brought homosexuality to, uh, homosexuality to the country, mm-hmm. but that also puts actual queer host country nationals in the spotlight when they don't want to be or absolutely cannot be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So those movements have to happen locally. Mm-hmm. And I, I lost count of how many for how many SBAC workers like approached me online or in person want to do LGBT rights work in Ethiopia. I'm just like, you have no idea what 
you're trying to get into. You have no idea what you're saying. You know nothing about this country or the context in which you're working. And you are showing no regard to actual queer Ethiopians Mm -hmm. because no matter how well this goes, no matter how bad it goes or how bad the results are of your actions, you get to leave and retreat back into safety. They don't. Mm -hmm. They don't. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, social change needs to come from within that own country. Uh, Just not even within LGBT, but every time, if you look at throughout the history of, an outside power trying to come in and shift. So it, it never works. And this is just another deeper layer of that. that yeah. So it, it's not us to, ch- to change it. Uh, it's not us to change it. We can definitely be a system of support, mm-hmm. but one that's less visible, I feel. Mm-hmm. And I, I used to work at USA, part of their Global Health Fellows Program in their Office of HIV AIDS, and part of our initiatives were key populations. And so Ethiopia has key population programs. Like many of these countries have key population programs, but key populations according to how they identify key populations. And in many of those countries, they don't identify queer individuals as key populations, mm-hmm. or they just don't acknowledge their existence at all. Uh, so in Ethiopia, key populations that they identify are like female sex workers, day laborers, you know, bar waitresses, um, yeah any of these like mobile populations. There are some countries where even though homosexual acts are still illegal, the government acknowledges that to curb their, their HIV epidemic, they do have to have programs for those populations. And one of those countries where I did that work was Cameroon. Mm-hmm. Like it's still illegal there. Even sex work is illegal there, but the government was very cooperative with us in putting those putting that research in motion, supporting those programs. Because if, if, if there's no enabling environment, enabling environment to get diagnosed or test or get services, we're all at risk. Uh, you know, we're as long as only some people have access to those services, everybody's at risk. Mm -hmm. And as long as that stigma is there, we're never going to curb this epidemic. We'll have low points and high points where it fluctuates here and there, but it's never going to completely disappear if things are still as they are. And that mm-hmm. includes stigma around queer people. Mm-hmm. Now, throughout your two years of service, you, you learned a lot, both about the world, yourself. What, what is something that you learned that has stayed with you? One of those lessons that you carry with you uh, in your day-to-day life here in the U.S.? It makes sense to them. Mm-hmm. Like no matter how outrageously ridiculous something seems to you, it makes sense to the person. Mm-hmm. And fa- and taking the time to discuss and digest why it makes sense to them can be far more effective in finding common ground than just having anger. And I'm grant gra- as a queer person, there are things that fuel my anger, including certain programs happening now or being done away with by a curtain by a current certain administration. <clears throat> but um, actually taking the time to discuss with the person, well, why do you think this? Why do you think homosexuals are pedophiles? Well, what about this? What about that? Have you ever met a queer person, et cetera, et cetera? And most often the answer is no, I haven't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's very easy to make assumptions and make sense of stereotypes when you've never actually met someone from that group. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're... We're dealing with that. I feel like that's what we're dealing with 
with transgender individuals in the U.S. right now, especially like the bathroom debates and most of the individuals who are transphobic that I know when talking more extensively about it, I ask, well, who, who do you know is transgender? And like, I acknowledge that that's potentially trying to add a person, but the Mm -hmm. intent behind that is, do you know someone who's trans? And almost always it's like, I don't know anyone who's trans. Well, (laughs) then how can you make these assumptions? Mm -hmm. So taking the time to investigate why something makes sense to them or even dig into what makes sense to me. Why does this make sense to me is far more productive. Mm -hmm. And then I, I like to end uh, the show on a quote and you uh, gave, gave me a good quote that uh, I'm excited for you to share. But before we do that, is there anything else you want to say in parting before we wrap up uh, this interview? Keep your queerness as part of your identity, but not your whole identity. Don't let that deter you from serving, you know, factor into factor into your decision. But we're, I, I, and many other RPCVs and PCVs are here to support you. Mm-hmm. And then that is perfect for um, the saying that you shared with me. So what is the saying that you would like to share? So the saying, um, which is Tigrinya for female addressing females means stay strong. And of course there's that in Amharic and Afanaromo. It's, it's when speaking to someone who is frustrated at times or if like something's happened to them, it's a way to say, you know, stay strong. And it was a joke among many uh, Peace Corps volunteers because we often felt that it was like an empty gesture for someone to say Izohi or Izoha. It's like, oh, if we if we fell and if we fell and hurt ourselves or like got covered in mud during the rain, people wouldn't help us up. They just like walk on past and say Izohi. <laughs> so like it, it would become a joke between Peace Corps volunteers uh, that if we were frustrated by like little things like ah oh, crap this hurts or ah oh, I can't get this to download, we'd just be like. Aizohi, Aizoha, and we'd be like, fuck you. But I feel like Aizohi is very, is it strongest when it comes to particularly difficult moments when like there's nothing else comforting to say. Like if you're going through grief, if something horrible happened, if you're in tremendous pain, you know, telling someone, oh, it's going to be okay. Or, you know, hang in there or, you know, this advice, this advice, this advice, like it, it doesn't do much, but when Ethiopians would say Aizohi during those moments, that was like the perfect thing to say when you can't say anything else. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Aizohi. Perfect. (laughs) Well, thank you very much for coming on and talking with me. Hopefully people um, enjoy this episode and find some interesting things in it, both of the LGBT community and those who are not in the LGBT community, so they can help understand a little bit of what maybe fellow volunteers are going through and can serve as an ally uh, to them. So absolutely. Thank you very much for coming on and sharing your story. Sure. And also if you want to read more stories about LGBT volunteers, there is an actual LGBT RPCV website where you can look according to country for individual stories. Awesome. I will make sure to link to that in the show notes. So if you go to your story on mypeacecorestory.com, you can find that and more information, anything you want to share for um, LGBT people and Peace Corps, send that my way and I'll make sure to have links galore. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, thank you. Thank you so much.
And there you have it, everybody. Another episode of the My Peace Corps Story podcast. I thank you for tuning in and listening to this episode. Also, I want to thank everybody who reached out to me in relation to episode 15 with Christine Blackburn. At the beginning and the end of the show, I expressed some of my apprehensions with releasing the show. And I've actually had a lot of very good reviews about her story. Those of you who reached out expressed how you liked that it broke the mold of the previous stories. And, you know, maybe I was letting my own self-talk get in the way. No two stories are the same, and each one has its own value. As I continue to grow as an interviewer, I hope to learn to balance the need to editorialize and comment on what is being said and letting the interview stand on its own for others to enjoy and form their own opinion. If you ever listen to something and you, you want to talk to me more about it or just let me know what you think, you can always reach out to me. Find me on Instagram, on Facebook, or on MyPeaceCoreStory.com. And if you want to know my personal Peace Corps story, please check out my book, Service Disrupted, available on Amazon. Every volunteer has a story. What's yours? <laughs>